the whole like 73% of the average American budget is in housing, food and transportation. Like when we sit down with people, those are the three levers that we pull first is how can we chip away at those? So that way you don't have to lose your Starbucks coffee or your Netflix or whatever those little creature habits that like we love keep those things. That's totally fine. Let's focus on like the 73% of your budget and and you're going to be just fine. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? Real quick before we start the show. If you go down to the description or the show notes for this podcast episode, there's a link, and that's going to send you to a page that you can download our free ebook on. This ebook is really good. Brad wrote it, and it covers everything that you need to know about house hacking in a very structured order so you can put all the pieces together. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to House Hacking Success. Today we have a couple of awesome guests. We have the five couple, Josh and Allie. Josh and Allie, we appreciate you having on. Thank you so much for having us today. Yeah, we're Absolutely. really excited to be here. We also have a third guest. My beautiful wife, Allie, also. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So this is going to be an awesome episode. I'm really excited. It's going to kind of show uh, something that we haven't shown on our podcast before, which is kind of, you know, the couple podcast, what it looks like to house hack together as a couple. Um, So Allie, go ahead and uh, ask the first question. So our first question for you is, Where did you learn about house hacking? Did you have friends or family that you learned it from? Did you read a certain book? Yeah. So um, the actually it was an article by Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets, and it was oh, titled. Him. <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty big deal. Um, so it was uh, how to hack your housing and get paid to live for free, um, and uh, that was actually my introduction to the term uh, of it. And then um, I actually read the book Set for Life by uh, Bigger Pockets uh, CEO Scott Trench, and that actually kind of like really spelled out the whole concept for us um, for house hacking. Okay, awesome. So who here was more interested in the house hacking at first, more open to the idea? I think I can guess between the two of you. (laughs) Um, I would have to say that Josh was 100% open to the idea of house hacking. He, you know, listened to tons of podcasts. He read a lot of books. He talked to a lot of people doing it on, you know, the Bigger Pockets forums and kind of like dived headfirst into this concept of house hacking. Um, you know, after researching, then presented the idea to me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, so you'd never heard of it before. (laughs) I'd never heard of it before. And I didn't have someone coming at me like, oh, so I think maybe this is a good idea. It was like, Allie, the year of our wedding, let's buy a multifamily property, be landlords, house hack. You know, we're in this nice little one bedroom, you know, garage central air apartment. Like, let's get rid of that and move into like a 120 year old house and like make it work. <laughs> yeah. And and in the process, let's get rid of the car that you love. <laughs> it's sort of a perfect storm. Huh? So, so let's talk about that first, uh, you know, experience kind of what Allie, what ultimately, you know, drew you to the idea of house hacking? Like what was some of those barriers? Obviously, societally, like there is a HGTV promotes, you know, the single family house. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. But it's more of like the traditional American way. Uh, get a new get a new car, get a new house, uh, ha- have a kid. That's sort of the idea of, you know, getting married. You, there's like these steps to a traditional 
uh, American way of life. Like what, what was it that drew you to an alternate way of life, which is sort of the FI community and house hacking? I think it's really hard because as people, what you said, we are programmed to think about having a certain type of life, right? Like I expected that single family home, we're going to have kids, we're going to have our jobs for 30 years. And that's just kind of how I was programmed. And I don't want to knock that life because many of our friends and family are living that life and they have beautiful, lovely lives. Um, But for us, yeah, it was hard to get over that mindset shift. And what initially was Josh, you know, coming at me with the numbers and we can save this and we can do that. I was not the numbers person that did not resonate with me. I'm like, this is a cool Excel sheet, but I really don't care. Um, You know, (laughs) for me, it was honestly traveling and quality of life and all of these different things. So I say this a lot, but like once Josh started speaking my language and putting things in a way that I could actually understand and relate to, like, hey, if you get pregnant and you want a longer maternity leave, you can take it without worry. You know, if we want to go on a longer trip than just what our vacation time allows, we can do that too. So that is really where the buy-in came for me because if I'm going to be making a sacrifice, what felt like a sacrifice, what am I going to get out of it? What are we going to get out of it? Um, and for me, it was for sure the quality of life factor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, it was, um, you know, I was burnt out in the career that I was in, um, trying to climb that corporate ladder, if you will. And, um, I was spending less and less time with Allie and, the more we started talking about what do we really value the most? What are we really trying to accomplish? And we even like wrote everything down on paper. The more that we wrote down the things that we value the most, and then we looked at the life we were living, almost none of the things that we value the most were we actually doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, a, that was a big game changer for us. And then, you know, plus, you know, student loans was causing a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety because, Here we are wanting to travel more. Here we are wanting to start a family, maybe one day get a single family house. And we had six figures in student loans. And the way my brain works, I was like, how we buy a home when we have a mortgage worth of student loans. Um, And so that was causing a lot of stress. And and we knew we had to do something different. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So let's let's 100 percent touch on what you mentioned, sort of like speaking your language, because. Um, I, I think we can definitely attest as well that there's definitely <laughs> different like wavelengths uh, to to sort of buying into an alternate way of, of life. Because um, even, even for somebody like me who I mean, I didn't grow up in a real estate family, but I had never I, I had no idea that people could live in, in a like a multi-unit or or even like buy a house and rent out the bedrooms like none of those concepts had ever um I just had no idea people did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no idea there was a business model around it. I didn't know you could get, you know, I mean, I didn't know the financing world, but, but, you know, if you're in America and you, you buy a one to four unit, you can get the same, uh, you know, kind of structure as far as a loan, low down payment, long-term fixed rate debt, low interest rates, things like that. But, but those are something that uh, Josh and I, you know, consider Ali, like talk through maybe some of the things that, um, you know, that I had to switch my, uh, maybe marketing to you for uh, to, to, to sort of that was actually how I thought of it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I always had that same thought that you did, Allie, about just having like the family, the one bedroom. Um, I come from a uh, 
very like higher upper um, county in Michigan. So everybody was kind of like keeping up with the Jones kind of yeah. thing. Very like, if you want it, you get it kind of thing. So the and, whole. And so, a, a side note, I definitely uh, I'll kick my coverage when I when I married <laughs> Elliot. So the whole delayed Same. gratification thing kind of was very hard for me. But um, I actually was going to go back to school, like get my master's, get my doctorate. I'm like, in the long run, if I want to stay at home and be with then why would I go and be in all this student loan debt? Right after we got married, um, his work actually went on strike. And so the fact that we made it through that with our passive income from the houses, like I don't, and we just got married, like paid for our wedding by ourselves. I don't know how we would have gotten through that, to be honest. So now looking Mm -hmm. back at that, I think that just what we've gone through in life has helped me more than anything that he could have told me really. And just seeing like how it has, panned out but also he let me decorate our unit to how we want to so that helped too because you need to make it your home you know if you're going to live there see those four walls every day and then when you move out you can charge people more because we redid our flooring we repainted so it's it looks even better way better than when we first moved in here and just him allowing me to do that is what I'm like, okay. He's like, well, you can make it how you want. <laughs> right. I think that's something that we've really um, realized, uh, you know, over time, because there are a lot of objections of, of why people don't want to do that. And a lot of them are, you know, we understand where they're, where people are coming from, but you really can, uh, you know, Allie's a very expressive person. She loves uh-huh. <laughs> um, sort of decorating and, and all the different seasons. That's why she's a big fan of Michigan. We get them all in one day out here. Uh, but but like it, it, you know, you can kind of create, uh, uh, you know, where we are now, we moved into a duplex. Um, you know, my wife is pregnant, we're expecting a child and things of that nature, but it sort of feels like we have our own place. You know, we're able to kind of, you know, express, uh, what she wants to express within the house and stuff like that. And you can create that sort of lifestyle while living for essentially free. And, and that's something that we now, uh, talk a lot about, you know, with our friends and, and other people that are, that have expressed interest in the idea is that, you know, it doesn't have to be some rundown uh, multi-unit or something to that nature. You don't have to have an invasion of privacy. There are ways to do it and go about it and look for uh, specific properties that kind of uh, allow yourself to live a certain type of way if, if that's the lifestyle you want. How about you guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that. So, so Allie and I, uh, we'd also always aspired to like work together because we love spending time together, and um, that was something that we always thought would be great. But initially, it was, well, if we want to work together, we have to go somewhere else. Either Allie would have to go to the company that I worked at, or if she works in the school, so I'd have to go back for my master's. And every single time, it was like, well, there's a yeah, but. We want to work together, but. We were kind of like putting our future in the hands of someone else, like that third-party employer. And what was really powerful about real estate and house hacking is that now we're putting our future in our control, which is so powerful because we can manifest what we want through our action and all of that, you know? And that has been like super empowering. Like we finally have our thing and and it's really exciting. And there's definitely been some growing pains because like <laughs> I was 100% like the numbers guy. Um, <laughs> and I was bringing us to those duplexes, triplexes and quads that were in really bad neighborhoods, needed a ton of work. But I was like, don't worry, the numbers make sense. And um, she's just over and- there with wide eyes. Like, oh. okay, whatever you say. <laughs> like, really really sketchy unsafe neighborhoods and i'm going from like our nice little like 
rental community with a pool and a gym and you're bringing to me me to these units that are like quite literally falling to the ground like there were high violence rates in the area and I was like this isn't happening like you are not selling me I'm not picking up what you're putting down friends so it was it was really not working um so we had to shift that <laughs> and, and the thing is too is so this has also been a great um a great way to build trust because once I stepped out of the numbers and then I started looking at real estate kind of through Allie's eyes because that and that changed everything for us. All of a sudden, it wasn't so much about we have to live for free. It was, well, if we can at least save six or seven hundred dollars a month, that's eight thousand dollars a year of after tax. That's like a huge pay raise for us. You know? It's still a win. You it's know, still like a it's win. still a win. And we can actually love living there. And once those light bulbs started clicking for us, everything changed. Yeah. For sure. That's a that's a great segue into another point. Uh, I like that you brought that up because um, when we got married um, a little over a year and a half ago, we had moved into a new place and we were on the, you know, the one bedroom side and the other side was much bigger and it completely paid for our mortgage. And I love that idea. And uh, my wife is like, no, we're moving over there like we need more space. <laughs> and it took a lot of way too much convincing to do that. Um, but ultimately, you know, we had talked a little bit about this, the nuance, like the the balance that we bring to each other. You know, uh, Josh, you and I, numbers, we're looking at the long-term growth potential. We're looking at, you know, maybe scaling and a lot of these things where our, our wives uh, balance us <laughs> with, with kind of a, a lifestyle, um, you know, some of the things that, that we don't consider. Um, and now, you know, we, we joke about this all the time because I was so resistant. I mean, it took a lot of convincing. Yeah. Uh, and now, I mean, <laughs> You know, we, we, I have an office, um, now that we're having a kid, it's not a challenge at all because we now have another room for the kid. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just overall a better situation. And, uh, yeah, we pay, you know, uh, you know, somewhere between three and 400 a month, but really, you know, that that's just paying taxes and insurance, you know, because right. the other side still pays the, uh, principal and interest payment and all of that. So, um, definitely, uh, you know, there's a balance there. Speak to that a little bit. So for us, like we actually had the identical situation. Our very first duplex (laughs) uh, upstairs was a two bedroom, one bath, maybe 900 square foot. And the downstairs was three bedroom, one bath, one car garage, private backyard, uh, huge driveway. And so my mind said, well, well, obviously we're going to live upstairs. Um, And that's not where we ended up moving. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for us, again, like it was this tiny little apartment versus, you know, the large luxury kitchen, like gorgeous. And yeah, it made practical money sense to move to the upstairs one. But again, house hacking was already kind of a hard sell for me. So I'm like, if we're going to do this thing, I want the nice one. Um, and, (laughs) And we did it. And then, you know, we did it again. We're in this second one. And honestly, um, with the second one, I had a lot more buy-in. So we ended up moving into an older, more outdated, in need of a lot of TLC unit. But I was more okay with that because by that point, I saw the power of what this could do. So I was willing to have a smaller house, to have a kitchen that needs to be totally remodeled. Like, you know, all of the things that we've been dealing with with this property. But it's because I had already did it. Did it so we both kind of gave a little, you know, yeah. you weren't too thrilled with the numbers. I wasn't too thrilled with house hacking. So we met somewhere in between. <laughs> um, and that's what kind of sealed the deal. And, yeah. th- and there's real yeah. value in that. Like we both, we both changed our marketing, you know, and for me, all of a sudden I was like, 
you know, I actually kind of like having this extra space and having yeah. rooms and so on. Not I was being like, this is crazy. <laughs> I love having a backyard. Imagine that. It's nice to live in a nice place. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah. and so I think once we both kind of started playing to our strengths instead of trying to like pull the other person, um, yeah, everything really got much, much better from there. And, uh, and now, yeah, now we're in our second house hack. Mm-hmm. There's 100% of power in that for sure. And we have, mm-hmm. we have, uh, you know, begun to figure that out for ourselves as well. Ali, you talked about like, uh, figuring out the power of house hacking and, and the second, um, the second property being, you know, a little bit more of a buy-in for you talk uh, from your perspective, what the power of house hacking looks like for you. Yeah, I think just like the the money and time freedom is huge. So like I was looking at our bills every month. I was looking at not paying $1,200 towards a mortgage, not towards a mortgage, towards the rent that we were having previously, you know, all of those outside costs. It was like, wait, what were we paying in our first house hack? Like a couple hundred, like 400, 600. 600. Okay. So it's like, wait, we went from paying 1200 to now 600 and that just frees up extra money and we're living, we need a place to live anyway. So why don't we do it where someone pays half of our mortgage towards that investment? So that was that was really big. And then getting into this one and now living for free, like that's crazy to me. You know, if we followed my plan, we'd probably be in a mortgage two thousand, you know, two thousand dollars a month, who knows? And now we're saving that money to pay down our mountain of student loans to invest in, you know, stocks and just um push our life forward the way we want it to be, you know? Yeah. And for us too, like to go back to values, that's kind of been our compass. So like when we got married in 2018, we took every single penny from that wedding that we had left over. And that's how we bought a house hack. We took a three day little mini moon out to the out to the ocean there and had a great time. But we knew there was something bigger. Um, and so that's what we did. But then fast forward, travel is a big value for us. So last year we got to spend almost two and a half weeks out in California. Amazing amazing hikes and everything like that. And we were able to pay for that because our cost of living is so low from house hacking. Mm-hmm. Had we not done what we're doing today, that probably would have just been like, put it on a credit card, throw an interest rate on that and finance it for like two years. And that would have been more of a stressor, but instead we got yes. to have an amazing <laughs> trip. Mm-hmm. And there've been a lot of different instances of that kind of stuff because of house hacking. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And like instinctively, um, from, you know, I, I always knew that, you know, uh, she wanted at some point a house and some acreage and grow, you know, have a family and all of that. And I always instinctively knew uh, that that's what I wanted too. But I was really, really bad at like relaying that message to her uh, in her <laughs> language yeah. um, that like what I was trying to do was like contributing to that. And I didn't yeah. really know how to market it in that way to her. <laughs> Um, you know, but like, but like to me, the clock's just ticking, like, okay, when's this going to happen? You know, but but from from my vantage point, it was always like, honey, like, you know, these houses, if we continue to to build a portfolio over time, you know, we'll ultimately pay for our our way of living. We'll make our life uh, much easier and less Mm -hmm. stressful and, and the ability to, you know, have a family and, and raise them in a certain lifestyle and things like that Mm -hmm. become much more attainable and much more uh, carefree, perhaps, um, than the traditional way of, you know, buying a house too early uh, for too much and taking on too much debt while you also have all the other things of life, um, you know. And so it, it was very challenging for me to figure out that I was, you know, sending the wrong marketing signals. Yeah. I had no idea. But 
Yes, but also not being in an apartment because I know so many couples, like my sister and her fiance even, they're like, we're just throwing away so much money renting this apartment. And so they finally bought a house. It's not a duplex, but they realize that value of just like biting the bullet and just buying a house. Absolutely. up for a little bit and just doing it because when you're just throwing away all that rent money, I remember me being a single lady by myself paying $800 plus a month for one bedroom, one bath. And then if I wanted to go on vacation, I would have to put it all on my credit card. Yeah. I just, I can't keep living like this. Mm -hmm. Right. No, absolutely. So so let's talk a little bit about like, uh, we'll get, we'll get back to the house hacking portion of this here in a little bit, but um, you guys are also very uh, into kind of the Five financial independent community, yep. uh, everything uh, we had mentioned, you know, sort of Dave Ramsey, and you mentioned Set for Life, and um, we had, we had talked before the show about how how much value that Dave Ramsey's program brings to a lot of people, but there's also a little bit, you know, left uh, maybe missing to the piece of the puzzle that some other things mm-hmm. and maybe house hacking. So talk about uh, you talked about six figures and student loans. Talk about your Fi journey throughout this, uh, and and kind of you know. Fitting the pieces together between a Dave Ramsey approach uh, and a house hacking approach and a separate life approach and, and kind of mar- uh, marrying them all together. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. So like for us, the goal is definitely to have a nice home eventually one day, not have t- people living upstairs from us and and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when we started down this journey, the idea of going right into that life, um, that we couldn't wrap our heads around it. And so priority one was really just how can we get out from debt? Um, because we felt like at the very least, if we wanted to have that type of life, student loans aren't going to help us necessarily get there. And so, um, so yeah, we, we discovered Dave Ramsey and we read the total money makeover and we started going down the seven baby steps and um, <laughs> all those steps. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I'll tell you, I mean, it was, I'm so grateful that we discovered his method or, mm-hmm. you know, because it really got us talking about money. I mean, we had been together for almost four or five years before we found Total Money Makeover. I don't know if we ever talked, really talked about money. And that's a big thing because I think we live in a society where we talk a lot about our purchases, but we don't talk about how we make those purchases or the debt we go into or the saving strategies that we use. So I think, or what do you do? Or like, what do you do? I do this and I do that. And it's like, well, that's great. And if you make all that money, but if you don't know how to save it or invest in it, you're just going to blow it. And that's how I kind of was. I'm like, I want to get my doctorate, make six figures plus a year. (laughs) And then I'm like, well, I'm going to go into six figures, go trying to get that doctorate. Right. Well, that's exactly it. Right. So like it, it seems very taboo to talk about money Uh and, you know, we're heading into marriage, but we were kind of just, you know, fumbling along here, paying our bills, doing this during doing that, but we weren't living an intentional life. And I think with Dave Ramsey, he really (laughs) taught us a lot of those fundamentals that we needed. But right, like you said, you know, it didn't fully click for us. It was a little all to one end. We're like, wait, we just have to fully pay down our debt and really sacrifice our quality of life for the next, you know, three, four years. People do it and they rock at it and they're doing awesome things. It didn't fit for us. Right. You know, and and for us, it was a little bit too one dimensional. Like when we were talking about when we initially started looking at rental properties, I was looking way like the worst possible properties. And (laughs) it may have made sense, 
I don't know if we would have survived that. And so <laughs> the same holds true kind of for Dave Ramsey. If we strictly stuck to that, um, yeah, I mean, it put it put a lot of strain on us, especially kind of the year going into, mm-hmm. you know, our marriage. And so um, so then quickly the dialogue became, OK, this is kind of OK, but we need something. We need, we still need to have some joy in our life. Maybe there has to be a better way. And so I went to Google and started reading forums and everything like that. And that's actually when I came across the book Set for Life. Um, and that book became when, you know, talking about language and stuff like that, that book kind of became our blueprint because it had that debt payoff component, which, you know, we definitely resonated with. But he also talks about owning assets. So that way, when you get across that finish line of, yay, you know, we paid off that debt, you also have things that are producing extra income for you Mm -hmm. and giving you more time versus one or the other. And so for us, we're big into the happy medium, find that Goldilocks type of scenario. And that's where Set for Life really kind of gave us that happy medium. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I think we resonate a lot with that, too, because, um, you know, there are elements to where, you know, we are and mostly me <laughs> being being very frugal in areas. But but there are also a lot of things that bring us joy that we we don't really, uh, you know, we, of course, we're mindful of. But but when it comes to spending money, we attempt to spend money on the things that bring us joy yeah. uh, and giving, you know, giving away and, and, and helping people and, and helping people in the community and being involved in the things that we're involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, and traveling and, and things like that, like those things bring us joy. And so when it comes to spending money on that, those things, we don't necessarily see it as spending money where when you come from a world like Dave Ramsey and, and things like that, not that his intention is to come off this way, but you, you know, there's a lot of stress in all of those things and yeah. spending money is all, you know, each dollar you spend is spent the same way, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think, right. I think there are several ways to spend a dollar uh, and some are beneficial, some are not. And you have to be mindful uh, mm-hmm. Ali, you talked a little bit about the psychology of of kind of transactions, psychology of money, and being and mm-hmm. understanding, you know, why you're buying things uh, is probably more impen- more important than than you know how much you spent on it, maybe. Um, but you know, we definitely resonate with that sort of mindset that you know every dollar is not spent the same way. Um, you know, you can you can you know buying joy is maybe the ultimate um, thing you can do with your money, and that's why mm-hmm. house hacking uh, to us is so important because. What you do with that additional income or savings, however you want to look at it, um, is much less important as how you know how, you know how well your relationships are doing and how well um, you know you are you know as far as like bringing joy to yourself and your community and, and the people around you. Um, and so I think that aspect was uh, once we started to talk in that way, I think it was much easier for the buy-in to you know to be with real estate and mm-hmm. and and house hacking and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even have a credit card until the year after I graduated from college because I was just so terrified of, oh my gosh, I don't want to be in debt to anybody. And my friends would ask me to go out. And if I didn't have the cash to do it, I would buy all my groceries in college, yeah. straight cash. There you go. I didn't put it on the card, anything, because I was t- terrified. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I'm going to have any of this debt, I just don't want to deal with it. <laughs> and now we can use some of the points that we put on that credit card and use it to travel and be intentional about it. That's probably another thing to maybe we can touch on um, and you can give your perspective on because, you know, she had come from a money situation in her background to where there was a lot of uh, fear around money. um, And that that happens with a lot of people, you know, experiences we have in our childhood and experiences Mm -hmm. around us uh, with, you know, just just family and all of that. 
um, have a have a psychological effect on how we view the world and money. And um, and so, you know, what sort of backgrounds did you guys bring to the table with each other? Maybe uh, if you have spent any thought thinking of it, um, you know, were they were, did you come from two different worlds kind of? <laughs> totally two different worlds. I can see that on their face. Uh, they started laughing. <laughs> totally two different worlds. So I grew up, um, you know, I'd say like in a middle class family. We had a beautiful home that my father actually built from the ground up. He's a very skilled craftsman. So um, I grew up with a mom who had a state job and the pension and the benefits and the security. And I kind of grew up with that privilege of I learned a lot of the lessons around the importance of saving, getting a secure job, blah, 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 you know? Um, so for me, I have a career as a school social worker. I have my pension. I have my great health insurance. I have my kind of low risk career and going into the relationship with Josh, you know, we were friends for a long time before we dated. Um, but I saw this guy who had a lot of car debt and was rolling negative car equity into negative car equity. Am I saying that yeah. right? And uh, <laughs> you know, making some really poor financial decisions. And I don't even know if you had a savings account. I don't know what you were doing. No. And it was like red flag everywhere. Like I, it, but you know, growing up, Josh did not grow up in a middle-class family. His family made a lot happen with very little. So growing up with that, you know, home life, you just didn't learn some of those lessons because it just wasn't a reality because right. it was getting through month to month and it wasn't thinking of that bigger picture. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like scarcity mindset was very real. I mean, I grew up, you know, food stamps, welfare, every type of public assistance that was available. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of survival for most of my life. And so, um, that, that mindset and those behaviors kind of carried over into adulthood. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden when I was, you know, I graduated college and I was making money, my mindset is, I don't know when I'm ever going to make money again. So why not spend it? You know, it was kind of like, I spent the last 21 years living a really hard life and now I'm going to live it up. And very, very quickly though, that kind of got me in greater, greater debt, greater, uh, financial strife. And so, you know, that's kind of one of the greatest things about, you know, coming from different backgrounds sometimes is you just get a whole different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember when Allie and I, you know, first started dating and I started realizing like to her, like for her, her background was like a middle, you know, middle class background. To me, I was like, you're rich. You know, you have a house, you have a house, you have two parents, you have cars, like you're clearly a millionaire, not knowing <laughs> you know, um, how it all works kind of thing. But yeah, we came from very, very different backgrounds. So I think the different backgrounds has been a strength because it yeah. really helps with perspective and with balancing each other. But it has not been easy. No. It was a huge <laughs> challenge to get to where we are. Like, it was like, oh my God, that's how you think about that. Like it was, <laughs> it, it was tough, you know? So, and you're laughing. So I wonder if you can relate, but it's just yeah. like, you know, it's, it's hard to merge those two, you know, what we met when we were 22 and 23, like that's 22, 23 years of being socialized and programmed to think a certain way. And it's like, oh, let's merge our lives together. And we think totally differently on this topic and let's make it work. So yeah. Yeah. not so easy. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. We we definitely came from different backgrounds in the sense that like I, I was very uh, carefree and that's been one of my great strengths. Um, but it's also, you know, uh, being married to Allie has been a huge 
benefit in the in the sense she's like oh well that could have went wrong or that could have went wrong and it's like man i i like literally never consider any of that um and like i just i just i don't know i just figured that like, if anything went wrong i would just work hard enough to like overcome yep. it and that was a huge benefit because it allowed me to kind of get in and where a lot of people do like analysis paralysis i've never related to that because i just like i just shoot and then aim um <laughs> and where where like my wife like aims and then like holds the, you know, would like aim again and then like aim again and then like aim again. And I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to leave. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's just different perspectives and kind of marrying those two and, and merging the two. Like I, obviously there are so many things that I've learned in like the last year where I'm like, Oh, I am could have, I would have never, ever in my entire life figured that out by myself. Nope. Yeah, no, I, man, everything you're saying right now is like literally <laughs> us to a, a, to a T. I mean, and so the thing is, too, so because I've always just been kind of like jump into something and I'll figure it out, you know, in in the midst of everything um, in a way like so I've definitely been more of a risk taker because it was all or nothing for me. Um, and so that's actually a big reason probably why we got into house hacking. Oh, yeah. Um, because to me, it was kind of like we we can't afford not to take this chance. And at the end of the day, too, like back of the envelope math, I was like, I don't really understand real estate when we were getting in, but I was like, that's $600 a month that we're saving. Like, that's pretty basic. We'll figure out real estate and the whole concept and how to actually analyze things. We'll figure it out. But like, you can read a book about riding a bike or you can ride a bike. And that was like, that's always been like my mantra. And so like throughout my whole life, I've ridden a lot of bikes and I've fallen a ton. <laughs> um, and some of the bikes I had no business going near. But at the end of the day, like it's that's kind of how I've always lived my life. And we've definitely contrasted in that regards. But I definitely think we bring balance to each other. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I, I, I say it all the time, like uh, doing your first deal, it, you know, you could read a thousand books and listen to a thousand podcasts and you'll never gain not only the confidence um, but just sort of like, you'll never understand it at the level that you would with one deal because it relates in a totally different way. You have an emotional, uh, every time now, now when I listen to books, I have an emotional, uh, kind of, you know, thought that, that it is provided by one of our properties, um, yeah, right. you know, and to where, when you're reading these concepts sometimes can get so, um, you know, out of control and you're like, man, I, I can't relate. I could never relate to that. But then when you go through it, um, and so, you know, Brandon Turner from bigger pockets, of course, talks about it all the time, but like, if you literally just find an average deal to where, you know, you just, you, you make sure you get an inspection on it, um, you know, and, and so there's nothing majorly wrong with the property and you basically just get, you know, the average, you know, maybe a little bit of savings or you come close to living free or something like that. I mean, from my perspective, it's a home run because no matter how long you wait, you're probably never going to find a home run deal. And, and it just kind of leads to analysis paralysis. And so if you can find a mediocre deal, it just provides the confidence that you could never, uh, you know, find in books or podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually, uh, so you had Craig Curlop. He's one of, I'm a big fan of Craig Curlop. You had him yeah. um, back in December and he kind of echoed the same sentiment is it's not about hitting that home run. It's just getting in. You don't get rich from your first deal. Right. That first deal is really there just to kind of like, it's like real estate with training wheels. It's to get you <laughs> in the game. And then once you're in and you start learning and you're saving money and so on and so forth, then you can really start looking out and start saying for our next deal, okay, now that we've we've had a year of like a, a crash course in real estate, now we can get a little bit better at finding those deals. And our first deal, it was a nice base hit. The numbers weren't like off the wall. They were pretty good. But really, it was it got us in the game. It got mm-hmm. us saving money. 
Um, and that's really what helped us get our second deal. And our second deal, the numbers were way better. Um, but we wouldn't have been able to get this if we hadn't done that. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I do think people get lost in trying to find that home run without realizing base hits when baseball games too. So Josh, let's talk a little bit about those first two deals from maybe uh, analytical approach, uh, but also from the perspective that you guys are a little bit uncommon to the uh, fact that both your deals were off market um, from my understanding and uh, what that was like. um, And walk us through kind of uh, both those deals from maybe your perspective analytically. So when we had first started looking for properties, you know, like Josh had said previously, we were looking all over the map. Um, Originally, we were like, we want a four unit. We want to live for free. We want great numbers. It just wasn't realistic for the market that we were in. You know, we would obsessively look at properties. A property would be on the market for less than an hour. We would be the first person in there. And then by the end of the day, there were 20 offers, most of like, the top ones were like all cash, 50,000 over asking. Like we were over here with like, hey, we have a 5% conventional loan. And like, we just couldn't compete with these bigger investors. So for us, it was really, yes, about getting that deal. And do you want to talk more about the numbers? Yeah. So, I mean, we were submitting offers left and left and right, losing and losing. And that's really when the doubt and fear started coming in of like, Maybe this isn't in the cards for us, and this is mm-hmm. just a cool idea that other people can do. And so luckily, we had a great realtor, um, and in kind of like the 11th hour, her and I were like ready to throw in the towel. He said, hey, uh, just so you guys know, I, I know a couple, and uh, they're like you guys in 10 years, um, and they are looking to sell their home. They don't want to list it because they would really prefer to sell to a young couple. And another thing with them, too, was that they were looking to buy a single family home. They were having baby number two on the way. So they didn't want to have a quick closing. They were looking to have a closing from when it was October to almost January. So they needed more time to look for a house. So maybe conventionally an on-market deal, people are like, I'm going to buy something and I want my property. Mm -hmm. We were like, yeah, we'll wait until you're ready. Let's make this work, you know? So it's solving other people's problems. So we were willing to be that solution for that, you know? Yeah, and they they had started house hacking and it was just the two of them and they had a baby and they said, not a problem. We can keep doing this. We're going to buy another house hack. And then they had a second baby and the wife was like, you know, we're done. We're, we, I want a single family in the country. So, uh, so we actually, we closed on that the week of Christmas 2018, um, we purchased at 158000 using a 5% conventional loan, um, all in with down payment and closing. Uh, I think we put down about $14,700. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we, we moved into uh, the downstairs unit. Um, we actually inherited uh, a tenant. The guy who was living upstairs had been there for a long time. Um, the, the sellers had said, hey, he's a great guy. He works a lot. He always pays his rent early. Um, and at that time, we weren't really looking to, you know, you know, have vacancy or anything like that. This was our first foray into real estate. Right. Um, so the mortgage on that was $1,384, and we were getting $725 from upstairs. Awesome. So uh, so you did a conventional on that one. My understanding is the next deal, uh, you went with FHA. Is that correct? 
That's cool. absolutely so correct. Talk a little about your experience with, with that and, and uh, the second deal. So for the second deal, it also was an off-market deal. Um, our long-term tenant from our first property got married after a year of us living there. He got married, you know, wanted to move in with his wife. Um, so we we're fixing up the apartment. We were able to raise rents, but it just so happened that like we were fixing up the apartment and, you know, someone in our local neighborhood was walking by and we got to talking with them and we had offhandedly mentioned like, yeah, we're looking for another property. If you know of anyone. Um, and at the time he's like, well, I have a property, but I'm not looking to sell. And we were kind of like, that's awesome. Um, but if you change your mind, let us know. And Josh <laughs> and I are pretty active in our local community. Um, so we, like, you know, we're on the community Facebook page, we go to local events just to like network and build those connections. So, you know, six months after we had that conversation with him, his position has changed and he was looking to sell. And, yeah. you know, I think because we made that connection, it was really lucky. And, you know, he was willing to sell to us and work out another off market deal that is literally six houses down from our first house hack. Yeah. So because we self manage, that makes it very convenient for us too, because we can literally walk from one property to the other. Yeah. And, and and the big thing too is, I mean, so we love the neighborhood. So to kind of go back to what we were saying, like you can find a great property in a great neighborhood and have the numbers make sense. And I didn't think that was possible until we got into the neighborhood we we're in and we got our first house act. Mm -hmm. house act. So we love the neighborhood. The duplex that we now own, we had walked past a hundred times and always said, wow, we really admire that. I wonder who owns that. And um, and so, yeah, and we spend a lot of time letting people know kind of what we look for, who we are, so on and so forth. And so uh, when the opportunity came up, we were more than happy to solve this problem. So for the second property, we used a three and a half percent conventional loan or FHA loan, sorry, three and a half percent FHA. We had to do that just in terms of funding and what worked for us at the time. Yep. So I think between closing a down payment, we played, uh, paid 13200 Um We moved into the downstairs unit. Uh, and the upstairs is currently rented for nine seventy five. For sure, for sure. And one thing, uh, just to highlight with uh, FHA loans, you know, um, the good, th the great thing about them is that they're federally backed, uh, which allows younger couples and, and people like wh whether they're couples or not um, get funded, whether it's a first or second deal. You know, because it, it's a much much easier. Um, to get qualified for them. And a lot of people mention, you know, the PMI and things like that. But um, from, you know, now Ali and I are, are buy properties as traditional investors, 20% down and, and things of that nature. When you factor in the higher interest rate, um, you know, associated with buying a property as an investor, it pretty much is a wash. You know, the PMI oh, yeah. is really just the cost of doing business to be able to buy a property. I mean, there's so many options uh, after that, you know, if you wanted, I mean, we we did a, a 203k loan, you know, and so we ended up refinancing and, and going to conventional and all that. Like, so there are ways, you know, if, if, if someone down the road wants to do that. But when you're talking about getting into these neighborhoods, the uh, the sort of, you know, the, the irony in it, I suppose, is that you know, people say it's too expensive now. Well, they, they just continue to appreciate and continue to appreciate and continue to appreciate. And the great thing about house hacking is being able to get into a property uh, for such low down. And, and, you know, it doesn't have to be to where you absolutely live for free, but you can live in these neighborhoods, get dramatically reduced rents, uh, you know, what you'd be paying for rent in, in an area like that. And over time, the property appreciates in values, rents appreciate. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of benefits to buying and holding in these really good areas. And FHA allows you to do that 
because the restrictions are much less because they're federally backed. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, cu- I couldn't have said it better myself. And that's that's all the kind of stuff I, I have up here in my head and, and know, you know, and the cool thing is, too, is right. So it's a great hedge against inflation. So over time, like can, things will continue to go up in value. Cost of goods and services will continue to rise. Our payment is fixed for the next 30 years. So even mm-hmm. though rents will go up, the property value will go up. That price doesn't change unless we change it through a refinance or whatnot. And so, yeah, it's there's a lot of really cool wealth generators that come from real estate. And for us right now, while not only are we benefiting from those, we're also living for free, which is actually further accelerating our student loan payoff. And honestly, um, you know, when we first got into this second house hack, I had said to Josh, we did one, we did two, that was our deal. We're doing two house hacks. (laughs) I want, you know, our single family home after this, because the goal was to have the cash flow from the first two units to pay for half of our mortgage. Um, And we were going to be able to actualize that, you know, with the numbers that we had. So that was kind of the goal. We got into the second one and I'm like, let's do it again. Like, why not? Let's do one more because it is, um, I don't want to say real estate with training wheels, but it kind of is like you're living there anyway. You're not needing to put down as much capital right away. So it, it just, it's great. It's awesome. And, uh, yeah, we'll see about the third one in a year from now, you know? (laughs) And, you know, once you kind of get over that, that, that fear and you realize in a way kind of how simple it is, I mean, it's like, you're just buying a house, but instead of it costing you some amount necessarily to live there, it co- it saves you more money, um, you know. And so now that we've done it twice, uh, this project, this this rental is more of a, a fixer upper, which is fine. So we're learning a lot of new skills, really broadening our network in terms of contractors, so on and so forth. Um, but we're already gearing up for our next uh, our next house act sometime next summer. Awesome. Awesome. And I just like to highlight that because, you know, that is maybe the big reservation of of people using things like FHA loans and stuff like that. But not only for ourselves dealing in commercial lending, um, you know, for our personal properties, but as an agent, I work with a lot of investors uh, and I and I uh, just see the transaction costs because in commercial lending, there is no fixed rate 30 year mortgages like that is not a thing. Uh, There are balloon payments. Amortization is much lower, whether that's 15 years, whether that's 20 years, whether that's 25 years. 25 mm-hmm. years is an incredibly long amortization. Uh, and so the cost of, of commercial lending is dramatically higher. And so, uh, you know, I always just sort of, you know, from afar chuckle a little bit at the cost of PMI compared to what I see these investors pay uh, for for different mortgage products. And so if, if mm-hmm. someone is out there attempting to build a portfolio, like th- at some point, those things are going to become a part of their life. And PMI is such a small cost to pay. Um, you know, compared to uh, some other things. And so the ease of lending, the, the you know, the the uh, federal government backing those loans, allowing us to get fixed rates, they don't change. You know, uh, a lot of people got in trouble in 2007, 2008, 2009 because they had, you know, these adjustable rate mortgages. Uh, but that's the great thing about FHA. It's fixed rate. It's never going to change. Um, and you get it for 30 years. I think it's really funny that you say that because I feel like 
PMI is like a dirty word. And so often when we tell people we're buying a property with FHA, they're like, oh, but what about that PMI? Like literally, <laughs> like, I cannot describe to you how often we get that comment. And I'm like, it's negligible. Like we're still profiting. We're doing great. Like the numbers make sense. So what about the PMI? So I definitely don't think it should be a deterrent to someone getting into the game. You know, an FHA loan is a perfectly fine loan to be using, um, a great loan to be using to get your properties. Yeah. And not for nothing. One, it's a tax write off. And those same people, I could say, hey, what about your principal and interest that you're paying? You know what I mean? Like our principal interest taxes and homeowners insurance other people pay for. So if all we have to do is cough up, I think it's about $110 a month out of our pockets for PMI. That's a tax write-off. I'm more than happy to pay $110 a month um, for two really, really great properties that continue to go up in value, pay monthly cash flow. Um, and so it's just, it's like a no brainer, but yeah, I think a lot of times people will get lost in the details of oh, that PMI and, and they'll miss out on all the other cool wealth generators that come with real estate. Um, so let's let's sort of transition to kind of the FI aspect that you guys are involved with. Um, you know, you guys are in the stock market and and very uh, knowledgeable and, and just everything in the FI community. Speak a little bit to that. And obviously kind of they correlate with house hacking, but speak to that. So a big thing for us with FI is, you know, when we first started this, we just had our nine to five jobs and that was what was supporting us and paying all of our bills. Um, so what our goal really is, is to have our income generators multiple streams and kind of not just relying on one basket of eggs, but how can we have multiple? So for us, it's like, yeah, we currently have our nine to five jobs. We'll work those for as long as it makes sense for us. And we're happy in those and it brings value to our lives. But also we want to diversify our income. So we're doing that through real estate. We're doing that through the stock market and index funds. Um, you know, Josh and I are starting up Well, we've been, you know, Josh has been doing money coaching and life coaching as have I. And we are really branching into that, too, where we we've learned so much and we've seen the power of it and we want to give back to other people. So that's something that we're really looking to grow, um, which kind of ties into our why of, you know, work optional and location optional. So if we're able to work remotely and help other people on their journey, amazing. So yeah, I think I pretty much said it, but just developing those multiple streams of income. That's just it. Yeah. I mean, our big thing is is time, right? So time is finite and it's the most valuable resource. And so for us, we really want to rapidly kind of like accelerate what we're doing so that we can give more of our time to the projects that excite us, but really also like the people we love the most mm -hmm. and then the ability to travel. And so that's kind of what FI means to us. It's such an awesome community around uh, the fire and fire and, and, and all of that. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's very, uh, it's a very uplifting community and, yeah. and, and very encouraging community. And, and it's awesome that you two are both now giving back and, and helping others and, and lending a hand. And, and that's why we absolutely want to get you guys on the show because you have so much, uh, you know, to value to bring. And, and, um, I think this is, you know, just hopefully what people can take away from this is, is obviously the, the uh, appeal to house hacking is dramatically different between, you know, maybe Josh and I and and Allie and, and Allie, you know, like what <laughs> what actually brings, uh, you know, value to us and why we why we uh, are, are attracted to it. But then mm -hmm. also a lot of a lot of the times, like like Josh had mentioned, our, our what we learned before we were even cognizant of it 
uh, of money, um, you know, has a dramatic effect on on how we make decisions. Yeah. And and I think the thing that you know maybe we don't even stress enough what house hacking brings to decision making. Yeah. Because you know we we right now it's sort of on on steroids with with COVID. Um, but you know everyone's decision making over the past several months has been dramatically escalated to where where you know to where it was during normal times. Um, you know, anxiety is at an all-time high. It's been a tough year in many aspects, um, but specifically from personal finance. I mean, a lot of people are struggling out there, and the freeing element of of you know not needing to worry about the mortgage payment. Once you buy a house, there's sort of a law of reciprocity that brings your attention to personal finance because now especially if you have a duplex, you have to now worry about, you know, two furnaces. Uh, yeah. You have to worry about two water heaters. You have to worry about, um, you know, all these additional things, which just, you know, escalates maybe most people's saving, right? Like now mm-hmm. that you have to think about something more than just your own personal place, you ha- you put more money away. Um, there's more of an approach maybe to FI. Um, there's just so many added benefits, not only mentally, but then just, just without even necessarily uh, being cognizant of it, but like you're saving for another place now. And, and it just kind of gets the snowball rolling, you know, Dave Ramsey, the snowball, uh, yeah. that snowball, you know, like there's, there's an element of that, which is why, again, we touched on this before the show, but like, which is why I love um, understanding Dave Ramsey at a high level, like a mm-hmm. psychological level, because everything that he does in his course is designed to meet our psychological needs. You know, mm-hmm. like he, he, te- he, he does like the smallest uh, credit, you know, bill, to the largest, not because that makes the most mathematical sense, but because it gets the ball rolling in our mental, uh, in our mental ability to do it. And so like, obviously there's a little bit to, um, you know, that he, his approach might lack for people like us. Um, but, but there is a a psychological element that really, really benefits people long-term if you can understand it. And I think house hacking definitely encompasses that, especially during tough times like this. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And and again, you said it. You said it as good as anyone could. But the whole notion of living like no one else, so you can live like no one else, um, has really rang true for us in 2020. With with everything that's happened, um, you know, we have a lot of friends and we have a lot of family who have gone through some really really hard stuff. And not to say we haven't had, you know, not had our own challenges, but in some ways, we've been able to live like no one else this year. Um, because of the choices that we've been making the last two or three years, you know, that level of intentionality has created a lot of optionality for us, too, um, in ways that, you know, I don't you know, we, we, we won't know, but I couldn't imagine we'd be in the position we are today if we hadn't made the decisions we made. No, I mean, I'm grateful for that. Like when, you know, COVID got bad in New York, you know, our entire economy kind of shut down. And although my job wasn't affected because, you know, I have this very low risk school job, um, you know, Josh's work as an entrepreneur, it went from like full income to maybe we're getting 20% of his monthly income. And if it wasn't for, you know, the savings that we have and the very low cost of living that we have on a monthly basis, it would have been a lot, a lot harder for us. So I am really grateful for that um, in that regard. Yeah. And and that full-time entrepreneurship that I love, had we not made the decisions that we made, I wouldn't have been able to make that decision because our cost of living would have been so much higher and we wouldn't have had that gap of to take the risk. Yeah. Cause I mean, when I launched into my own business two years ago, I did not launch, you know, it was the whole, uh, jump out of the airplane and build a parachute on the way down. Like I did not have full-time income at all. 
and we were getting married in like six months. So uh, luckily, this one trusted me. Uh, but also um, because we had been started making the decisions and changing the lives that we were living, it kind of gave us a little bit more optionality. Um, and that's another one of the cool benefits of, of house hacking is that there's a lot of people who are probably in jobs they don't love, but because they walk a financial tightrope, don't feel like they could change or get out of. And that's a really hard position. And I get it. House hacking has given us that freedom to make changes and do what we really love to do versus what we have to do. Mm -hmm. And that's super inspiring. For sure. And one thing, you know, because this is a couple's podcast, I mean, life, life is impossible to predict. The markets are almost impossible to predict. COVID-19 was literally impossible to predict. I mean, there, there weren't people screaming that we were going to have some type of pandemic, you know, in, in 2018, 2019, right? Like um, maybe a small sector of the fact, but it wasn't something that really anyone factored in, right? And uh, something that, you know, we think about and I specifically think about now, and I was thinking about a long time ago before I even met Ali was, was like um, setting up for you know, having kids. And like, I always had that, like, that was kind of one of my driving goals and factors for getting into real estate and, and being kind of on this financial independent path and all of that. Um, but like I now, you know, becoming a dad and things of that nature, I, and, and, and seeing a lot of friends that have kids in, in uh, particular, like there's a lot of, um, as far as when it comes to money, a lot of fear involved with that. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. now we talked about, you know, we talked about thinking about a second, um, uh, you know, a furnace or water here. I mean, that's a whole nother thing to now think about a whole nother human being and protecting <laughs> that and things of that nature. And, and I see why, like there, I see why so few people, once, if they go down the traditional way of life to buy a house, I see why they never end up investing in real estate because, yeah. because that psychological, uh, factor of like buying a whole nother property that you, that you don't live in and it's far away. And the amount of, possibilities of things to go wrong and 20% down and all of that, like is, is a lot to overcome, which is why I'm such a proponent of house hacking, you know, and especially early, but even if you're, you know, even if you have a family already, you know, and, and you can accommodate that, like, like there's just a, it, it's much, it's a lower barrier to entry. It's an easier psychological barrier to entry. You living in the property, you're lowering your, you're lowering your risk factor all around. And when, when the unexpected happens in life, which you're never going to predict for, you have the ability to adapt. And I think mm -hmm. adaptability, you know, Josh being an entrepreneur and, and, and myself as well, like adaptability might be the most important um, factor of, of long-term sustainability, not your ability to predict because, you know, I, I don't know very many people that are able to predict very well, but I know a lot of people that are able to sustain long-term, um, you know, wealth generating, you know, whether it's in real estate or other forms because they're able to adapt. And I think house hacking more than anything allows people to adapt to whatever life throws at you. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And there's actually, you guys maybe you might be familiar with the story, but uh, Brandon Turner. So Brandon Turner. Oh, oh, okay. But um, when Brandon Turner, when him and his wife Heather were planning to, to start a family, they actually bought a rental property specifically for their daughter, Rosie, mm -hmm. put it on an 18 year mortgage so that when if she wants to go to college, if she wants to start a business, whatever Rosie wants to do, most people, they are super stressed. How are we going to pay for college? And and then thinking of it differently and saying, I'm going to own a rental property. I'm going to have tenants pay for my child's college tuition mm -hmm. or seed money for a business. That blew my mind. And so now we pay extra on our first mortgage every single month so that eventually 
when we are blessed to have a family and we have that child and they're ready to be, they're at that age, we have that level of optionality. We're not worried about how are we going to pay for college because we have, you know, 200 or $250,000 in equity that in the drop of a hat we can make possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you just you can't predict for a lot of those things like, um, it, you know, even even if you begin to like there's just a lot of costs associated with, you know, having a kid and, and then just, you know, the cost of, uh, you know, just having a kid go from, you know, being an infant to graduating high school. I mean, it's it's a it's a high level cost You're paying for college. A lot of these things that, you know, as as younger uh, adults, we don't necessarily think of. And so. Um, it's sort of all encompassing when you're talking about house hacking and, and buying real estate. Brandon Turner's story obviously is awesome. Um, you know, from the, from that standpoint of, of buying that place, having it pay off uh, over her lifetime, and then and then allowing her to do what she wants with it, whether go to college or whatever. Um, uh, one one thing I I, I uh, have solace in is um, have you ever have you heard Brandon Turner's full story? Uh I think so. I mean, I've listened. Yeah, to yeah. His yeah. his background in money makes me feel like. Uh, uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he had like he had like thousands of dollars in credit card debt, and he was just oh, like yeah. dealing and dealing. And uh, so he he jokes about it a lot, like uh, you know his background in money. But but um, you know, but yeah. I mean, house hacking just allows you to be adaptable, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly it. And mm-hmm. we have some really big goals and. You know, for us, as opposed to just trading our time to make those dreams come true, we want to own as many assets as make sense so that those assets can make our dreams come true. Mm-hmm. For sure. So what what are some of those, uh, you know, not necessarily whether whether you want to talk about like long term, um, you know, a decade or two decade or three decade goals or just sort of the more like uh, actual, you know, steps you're taking now to kind of uh, reach FI or, or what that really looks like, what you guys are looking uh, to the future for. Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing for us is uh, we want to own a rental portfolio that provides enough cash flow so that when we do settle into a single family home and we start a family, the rentals will pay for that entire mortgage. So that takes that cost off of our plate, if you will. Um, The way that we invest in stocks, um, we really like dividend growth investing. So a portion of our portfolio is focused on, you know, growth oriented and, and like the S&P 500. And um, actually to go back to like Brandon Turner, one of his analogies or expressions is, you know, cash flow will get you out of a job. Uh, appreciation will build you wealth. And so um, we're looking to build up as much passive monthly cash flow as possible. So that way, um, you know, if we so choose, um, we can leave our, I mean, I, I like what I do. I would just like to do it, you know, much less. And then if Allie wants to leave her job, she can leave her job. Um, but really the goal is really in the next probably like three to five years. So somewhere in our mid thirties to be at that place where we could launch kind of like phase one, five, if you will, we're, we're both still kind of working passively doing things that we love, but you know, 70 to 80% of our monthly expenses are covered by stocks and real estate. So like our assets are kind of fueling our needs and our jobs that we choose to have are fueling our wants and we're able to travel and we're able to have flexibility and live the life that we want. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, one question we ask um, each guest is, it seems like the 80-20 rule applies to obviously, you know, that Pretty much everything, but house hacking in particular. You know, we uh, on the show and 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 we get a lot of people reaching out to us um, wanting to house hack. But it, it seems like 
there there's a sector of people that that set out to want to do it and there's only a small few that actually uh take the leap and do it what is what do you both feel is the x factor and why um you know there is a, a small percentage that actually take that actionable step honestly i think that mindset is such a huge barrier i know that we were filled with so much fear and so much doubt and the what ifs that kind of you were saying that like you maybe didn't have but ali did have with like what if this happens what if that happens that was me it was like what if we have to evict a tenant or what if you know the roof collapses and i'm thinking of these catastrophic realities of being a landlord but you know with my mental health background um there's a strategy of yeah go to that worst case scenario and then figure out how you'd figure it out so like okay what if we have to evict a tenant okay is it the end of the world? No, we would have to go through the steps and checks and balances and all of that, and we'd figure it out. So I think that a big reason why people don't get into this is literally just because it's the unknown, it's scary, it's a risk, and it is hard to take risks and a big risk and spend a big amount of money. So I think once you get past that mindset and you realize like we literally would go through our worst case scenario. What if we can't pay our bills? We have to move in with one of our parents. We both lose our job. Like so much <laughs> has to go wrong for all of that to happen. Um, but going through that, it's like, wait, that's kind of an unrealistic fear, you know, and kind of overcoming that fear. Yeah. And for me, like, so I love math and I love risk <laughs> mitigation through math. So for me, like, <laughs> we're both like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so like, as far as like, how do I quell fear? I just math stuff out, you know, and then I, so I look at, okay, what's the reasonable rate of return and how much is this reasonably going to cost us? You know, and there's, there's like spectrums of like nothing goes wrong or everything goes wrong. It's kind of like a bell curve. And the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. And so for us, like, I understand that success leaves clues. I understand the reason why I loved real estate is because initially, like so many, I was like, I need to invent something that doesn't exist. That That's what's going to get us there. And that is so hard. So I decided why not just play it safe and do something that people have been doing for generations, real estate. And guess what? There's books. Like there is a blueprint of like, do this, do this, do this. And it's probably going to work out well for you. So the more that I started reading and studying, knowledge quells a lot of fear that I have. Couple that with the math of it. I'm like, this is a no brainer, hot, like super low risk endeavor that we're going into. And the more that I got educated, the more that I read when on podcasts, so on and so forth, I was like, this is actually super safe. What's really risky is if we go and buy that nice house at 123 Main Street with the $2,000 a month mortgage with the $700, you know, car payments, that's super risky. That I can't math out. And so yeah. this this is like, this is a cakewalk for us, I think. <laughs> yeah. So you were speaking about books. Do you have a favorite book or lifestyle book that you suggest that really helped you? I know you had mentioned some previously. Yeah. So um, three, if it's okay. One, yeah. Set for Life is my go-to. Mm -hmm. um, I think <laughs> everyone should read that, especially if you're like 17, 18, and you're about, you're like, oh, I'm about to go to college, but you don't really know what that might cost. I think Set for Life is a great one. Um, your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin is also really transformative because so often we think of things as just, well, it just costs money. We, we don't tell the full story and we don't correlate how much of my time that I'll never get back, how much of my yeah. time 
does that thing cost? Mm-hmm. Is it is that worth more than my time? And the answer yeah. for me is no, because mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, so your money, your life, and then the third one is actually it's by Ramit uh, Sethi. It's called "I Will Teach You to Be Rich," and similar to Set for Life, like Ramit is very much the like you know get your Excel stuff, get that all figured out, then live your life outside the Excel sheet. Like automate that, but live your life. And his big thing is spend lavishly on the things that you love and cut mercilessly the things that don't bring you value. And those two things I feel like for us, like we spend on the things that really excite us, that align with our values. um, And we're really comfortable with those things. We cut the things that really don't bring us joy or bring us value. And that's how we save as much as we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Now, when I look at things, I think of it in forms of traveling okay yeah. so how much so is this gonna i can either get this or i can buy a plane ticket for that <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> to highlight um separate life and how important it was to me um the missing piece that i took from that book more than anything from like the dave ramsey approach because um you know i i, I don't even know that i studied it as much as it just be, it was it's sort of just natural conventional wisdom i mean yeah. you know he, he talks about it all the time it's it's mm-hmm. the advice your grandma would give to you Um, I think it's actually one of his his slogans, but, um, but like, you know, it's just sort of conventional wisdom stuff. And the element that, uh, separate life added to the equation for me anyways, was the difference between variable expenses and fixed expenses. I had never, I had never really considered that it was sort of mind blowing for me. Um, you know, when you, and I'm not really naturally a numbers person, I, I almost sort of detest numbers. Like I, I love the big (laughs) picture stuff and, and, uh, drew the co-host, you know, he's a numbers guy. And uh, I have some other people that I work with that are numbers guy. They, they I, I've used some of them as like, you're getting in my way, man. Let me look at the big yeah. picture stuff. But like <laughs> the, the, the thing that I, that it like added to me uh, was, you know, I had looked at coffee expenses and things like that as like, you know, big no nos like to your path of yeah. uh, progress. And and there's there's totally merit to you know saving money. You know, you got to get to the down payment and things like that. Um, but the the cost difference between you know saving on say you really enjoy Starbucks coffee. Yeah. And you starve yourself of that for a full year. You know, that might equate to, you know, a couple percent of your total budget for the year. You know, that might be a thousand dollars that you save if you didn't get a Starbucks coffee every single day. Uh, well, if you if you match that up against just the, you know, the cost difference between 30 or 40 percent of your, you know, your your budget that you spend on housing. Yeah. I mean, that's not even close. And so, you know, like your money or your life, you talked about, that's an amazing book too, because mm-hmm. it talks about your life energy, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, and so those books definitely, you know, put some, some dots on the map and you can start to, you know, uh, you know, connect those to where it's like, you know, money is not spent equally and you have to, you have to, you know, separate, uh, fixed expenses, variable expenses, but then also life energy, you know, and, and things that drain that from you. Um, and so, yeah, two amazing books. Uh, and, and, uh, Allie, do you have, do you have, uh, any books that, or, or even podcasts? It's actually funny because I like kind of describe Josh as like my content curator. Like he is like, I want to read all the books. I want to listen to all the podcasts. And then I'm like, Hmm, what podcast do I want to listen today? Josh, I kind of feel like listening to a podcast about and then I'll say that before I drive home from work and he'll shoot me over a podcast. So like if Josh says a podcast or a book, chances are 
I've read it too. And I've listened to it too, because I'm like, Hey, send that over to me. So yeah, like everything Josh said, I couldn't have said it better. We really like afford anything by Paula Pant, um, you know, bigger pockets, money, um, some other ones like that. And just, uh, yeah, there's so many great resources out there. And I think at the beginning of our journey, um, you know, at first I thought Josh was like the crazy guy with this wild idea, (laughs) but then I, through listening to podcasts and reading books, it's like, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're not doing this super risky thing. We're doing something that millions of people have done before us and they found success with doing it. And Mm. that is why listening to the podcast like this, reading the books it's just been the biggest source of inspiration for us because it's like we're not alone. There's this really cool community of people yeah. that are doing just what we're doing. Um, and that's awesome. So that's why it's so cool to connect with people like yourselves, yeah. you know, and just meet people that uh, kind of are doing that too. Like you guys get it. And, yeah. and so often, um, you know, I mean, we love like our friends and stuff like that and we spend time with them, but sometimes we're the frugal weirdos and, uh, <laughs> and they're like, we kind of yeah. know what you guys do. And we're like, and then I'm like, if you really want to know what we'll do, like I will talk all day, but usually I just kind of smile. I'm like, yeah, you know, we buy houses and I just kind of like downplay it because if I try to really like unleash what everything that we do and I, I just, I, you know, I'm like a fire hose sometimes. I gave up years ago and trying, uh, <laughs> trying to like explain house hacking. Like I just, I yeah. don't even, I don't even tell people. I mean, yeah. if somebody wants to know, you know, like, but, oh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, especially, you know, I work for, uh, I still work for a corporate 500 company. And, um, you know, and, and so there's uh, people make a really good living. And so like the the whole idea of, you know, living in a duplex is just so radically, you know, like weird. Like, you know, <laughs> so I don't even try to explain it anymore. Um, no, yeah, it's bad. I'll literally like before we have social events, I'll like preset Josh and be like, OK, before we go into this gathering, like we're not going to go wild about what we do. Like if someone asks, we'll we'll talk about it. But yeah, it's um again, it's that mindset shift in, you know, finding your circle of people you can talk to with it. And luckily, we've found that circle and we have a lot of yeah. people we can talk to about it. And our friends are super supportive with it, even if they're not doing it. So it's it's been cool. And it's and it's cool because like so for like two years or so i feel like we've kind of been like in the audience if you will and like listening to awesome podcasts and reading books and just like getting so much inspiration for it and this year like we really sat down and we're like how can we in a way kind of give back and and so that's kind of what the Phi couple is all about it's kind of our way of contributing to a community that has literally completely changed our lives mm-hmm. might likely the the lives of our children and, and so on and so forth and so um yeah it's just it's really cool to be kind of being able to do things like this yeah yeah for sure and uh, i very rarely like give uh book re- recommendations but um have you heard of uh, the psychology of money a new book that just came out uh i've heard of it who's the author so, uh you know what i do not know the author but i know um it was a, i'm gonna put it in my phone it was, um, I just got done reading it. Okay. Um, and it's sort of a PhD's, uh, perspective on, on money. And, uh, sure. I've, I, you know, we, I read a lot like you, Josh, and, and listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff, but it was the next book that connected a lot of dots um, yeah. for me. And I think it was a very timely book when he put it out because we are as a society really evaluating a lot of things right now. Um, our own choices, our own way of life, uh, with COVID and everything. And now people are, are, are moving home and, and, and from a agent side, like, the, the market is just booming right now because people uh, don't want to live in the same situation they were before. You know, so we're, right. some people are using it uh, in different directions. But 
Um, the psychology of money like brings a lot of the things that we're talking about into perspective because, you know, somebody like you, Josh, you know, you, you reason with, with science and math and there, you know, for, for all of, you know, for science and, and, and rocket launching and, and things like that, we can predict down to almost certainty, uh, the results and, and, and in math, um, you know, we can, we can, we can make these, uh, you know, algorithms that, that predict almost certainty, but when it comes to money, it's it's impossible. It's nearly impossible to predict the markets. And there's so many people that attempt to or say they can. Um, but he goes into depth on why sort of that is and the unknown around it. And the fact that somebody like, you know, something that goes, uh, you know, people don't talk a whole lot about is the fact that Warren Buffett went through 14 market cycles in, it, in mm-hmm. his lifespan uh, and the kind of sustainability of, you know, the mindset that it takes to sustain, because we hear all the time people say, you know, I'm going to invest when the market dips. Uh, well, the psychology, you know, that, that it takes to be able to to continue forward when everything else around us, media, everything else is saying that the sky is falling. Right. It takes a high level of, of psychological willpower. Um, and it's just an incredible book. I think you'd really, really enjoy it. Did you book. see did you happen to see the bet that Warren Buffett did with the hedge fund managers? No. Yeah, so it's going to confirm in a way everything you're describing. So, and I'm a big Warren Buffett fan, and that's like a yeah. whole other podcast. But um, so, long story short, and this is a big reason why we just basically do index funds. So, Warren Buffett, uh, there's tons of hedge fund managers, multi million dollar or million dollar under mass asset management um, hedge funds who their job every day is they can't match the market, right? They have to beat the market and they have to beat the market by a significant amount to make all those fees worth investors while. So Warren Buffett bet a bunch of hedge funds, I think it was like a million dollars or some amount, um, that over 10 years, these hedge funds could not beat a basic S&P 500 index fund. Good old boring S&P index fund. And they thought, you're crazy. We have algorithms. We have all this data and research that says we can beat you. And he said, fantastic. Show me over the course of 10 years. Because anyone can beat the market for like a month or a year. Show me a 10-year time horizon. I'll let you guess who won that bet. (laughs) Um, And so often we as humans, I think, yeah, we overcomplicate things. Mm That's why we do index funds because they're time tested and we know it works. That's why we're doing real estate because it's time tested and we know it works. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to do things that have proven track records and high probability of success so that most of our time can actually be spent not trying to pick the best stock or do these crazy exotic things, but it's actually just spending our time living a life that we love Mm -hmm. and letting our investments take care of themselves. I was going to ask you, did you? both invest in the stocks before you were married or did you do that together? Because that's actually all I had known was investing in stocks. And I got rid of mine when we did get married because it was kind of a gray area for both of us. So why do you have, why do you have stocks? Um, I'm very low risk too. Like I took no risk in in mine and I had a financial advisor helping me out there because I didn't know. You know, I trust you. Here you go. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I think like for us, it was kind of like, you know, there's a theory that like you make change in one system and there will be ripple effects in all of the systems. So like we made this change with real estate and living below our means and that. And it really ignited that fire and passion of like 
So what else can we do? Hey, I see what this is doing. What else can we do now? So really it was like as a joint thing, I think, you know, investing in stocks and, and, you know, we don't have car payments. Both of our cars are no debt against them. So just reducing and reducing our cost of living and enhancing our assets and, you know, profit every month. So, yeah. and the big yeah. thing is too, is so, and this is just my personal theory. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there that makes the stock market seem scary and really complicated. And if it seems really complicated, and it's not just stock market, it could be real estate, it could be different things. People are going to say like, ooh, I can't do that because I'm not, you know, whatever credential. Therefore, I'm going to give my money to someone else because they're the pro, they're the expert. Yeah. A lot of those experts, do you know what they're investing in? Index funds. Uh, and but they're charging you a fee for it. So when you understand whether it's real estate, stocks, so on and so forth, basically, when you understand how it works, first and foremost, kind of how to pull that lever. But secondly, when you when you train your mind to not think short term, but think long term, um, all of a sudden, like it becomes really, really simple. Actually, another book, if you want to check it out, specific to the stock market is The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. So J.L. Collins will probably tell you everything that you need to know. It it could be like a two-page book, but he makes a whole book out of it. He, he kind of, <laughs> he, he talks about the investment to own the other 128 pages or so is just the psychology of why that works. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so for us, it's just kind of understanding how the assets work, but also having the mindset of a long-term horizon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Cause they don't teach you that in, in school. No, and I don't think that's, <laughs> and I don't think that's an accident, you know? Right. I was going to say, they don't want you to know. That's exactly, <laughs> imagine selling that $35,000 BMW to the person making $30,000 a year, if that person was equipped with financial knowledge and literacy and know-how, and they understood all the stuff we're talking about today, if they understood the true opportunity cost of that car or that like fill in the blank, imagine how hard that salesman job is, you know, mm -hmm. or BMW or whatever the company's job becomes. So, yeah. and we need people to, sadly, I feel like we need people to spend in order for our economy to work, spend more because that's, that's some, mm -hmm. to some extent, a fundamental of capitalism, but it also straps people with more debt. It keeps people in the system. It keeps people in those jobs. Um, you know, and that's something that, you know, we work with people all the time on is understanding their relationship with money. Um, and, and, and then changing their life thereafter. And t until he brought me to an investment conference, I had no idea. Yeah. And it was, I was like mentally exhausting. He's like, I think, I think you're like, not, I think you're so bored. I think you're not having fun at this. And I'm like, I'm just, my mind is blown. Cause yeah. I've never heard like any of these terms. I don't know what these people are talking yep. about. <laughs> like, and I just know there's like, I'm like, what's, what's a bull market? And just all of this yeah. All this different terminology. I'm like, I need more coffee for this because <laughs> I've never heard of any of this. As a side note, I took her to a uh, Robert Kiyosaki investment conference on her wow, second date okay. and uh, got her uh, Kim Kiyosaki's book yeah. uh, just to make sure that she was she was down. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I did learn a lot from that because I am a very like visual learner, like or I don't really like gray area and black and white. Like, give me the term. And I'm like, very like term definition term. And yeah. that's how her book is. 
And it's in a way that like women can understand because if I read all these books with like these different charts or like, here's the numbers, I am not a numbers person whatsoever. Like don't even talk to me about it because it'll go in one ear and out the other. But I think that's where we do balance each other because I think, okay, well, what if? And at first he did not like it, but now he's like, okay, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, she, same with me. And it, it forced me to kind of work a muscle that I hadn't otherwise worked. Cause like I knew it, half of it is knowing it, but the other half is actually being able to articulate it. Um, and because I, I had it all up here, but I had to convert it into a language that Allie would effectively understand. And that has helped me so, so much because it makes me rethink what I know and how can I reframe it so that way if I did want to help someone else i'm not just throwing acronyms and terminology at them because that could be like an avalanche of knowledge and mm-hmm. super overwhelming yeah and so that's that's, that's <laughs> so- <laughs> imagine imagine that i mean we have two big phrases that i feel like we say a lot like little mantras in our relationship one is stay in your lane so for that i mean like I really handle like the renovations and I pick the floor colors and the paint colors and I do different things and I do tenant relations and I'm good at that. Josh is really good at analyzing the numbers and knowing where we're investing and all of that. So knowing what our strengths are and then finding tasks for ourselves that are within those strengths. So stay in your lane and being productive in different ways. So he may not fully understand the value that I'm bringing to a situation, like the time that I took to analyze the floor and make sure that we get the best flooring and all of that. And I may not understand something that he's doing, but it's understanding that we are both working towards a common goal. So even if they're not the same and we may have a hard time relating at times, we're both being productive in different ways. So those are like are kind of like teamwork mantras, so to speak, of how we work together. (laughs) And it is. And it's a lot of teamwork. And like, this is our first foray into like, like, first, it was the dream of, oh, we work together. And that's really exciting. And then the the reality is actually, okay, we're working together. And there's different (laughs) aspects of our personalities. But we have to come up to we have to come up with like daily collective, sometimes really big decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not always easy. But it's been a great learning opportunity as well. Yeah. You know, Josh, I feel like you and I now have the ability to to get a career in marketing. Yeah. Uh, now that we've been able to uh, convince our wives, uh, we, can, we can do this, buddy. Yeah, as, well, as long as they're there with us, because like I would just be a rambling idiot running in circles without Allie. Like I, that, that's, that's, she, she gives me focus. Like, I think we used the, like the, the bowling analogy earlier. I would be in the gutter years ago, um, but she kind of keeps me on track and, and, and that helps me a lot. And I, I think we kind of balance each other in that way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that, uh, that JL Collins book is, is awesome. Um, as a side note, uh, Drew, who is the, uh, co-host this podcast, yeah. um, he was, he, he's a professional bowler. Um, cool. so he was, he was bowling at the time. He had no, thought of, of money and, and he just, you know, was following a passion and, um, and he was working at one of our properties for an HVAC guy, just trying to make a little bit of money so he could keep professionally bowling. And, uh, I had that JL Collins book on repeat and yeah. he's like, this dude is weird. Like, why is he listening to books while he rehabs this property? Like, this is the weirdest <laughs> oh, yeah. dude I know. And, uh, and I was like, well, you know, you can find out how weird I am. You can come weir- work for me every day. So that's all we did was we just listened to uh, podcasts and books and, and, uh, JL Collins, I believe was, was probably the book that, uh, it was definitely one of the books. Yeah. It was a great book. 
Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. I probably list on repeat for about a year and a half every day in my car. You bought like the CD set. I actually had the CD set. You liked you know? him a lot too. Yeah, I had the CD <laughs> set and I would literally, and this was before, I, I hadn't quite yet discovered podcasts. So I got the CDs and I would just swap out the CDs. And my thing was, if I'm going to be in my car for like two or three hours a day, how can I make it like a remote library? And so that's where the CDs really came in. And then once I discovered podcasts, oh, forget it. I was like, I love being in my car because that meant I got to learn something, you know, and then I would like, you know, pull over to the side of the road and I would do like a note and then I would, you know, make notes and like voice to text it and stuff. Like my phone is like a whole library and that I could geek out all day. Over I here. totally understand. <laughs> uh, a, good, a good mentor of mine called it Windshield University. Yeah, exactly. That's literally it. Yeah. No, I felt like this whole uh, episode was just a couple of uh, awesome people just chatting. And um, I know for a fact that a lot of people are going to get a lot of value from this. Um, you know, and, and we we can definitely tell that uh, you guys, your hearts are in the right place. Um, and I know that you guys are helping a lot of people uh, with your podcasts and with, with uh, you know, with mentoring people and helping them coaching in life and in money. And, uh, you know, just, just bringing perspective to it and, and connecting the dots, you know, yeah. because... It is, you know, Josh, you and I, we, we read a lot um, and, and there are concepts, but then there are certain uh, books that really, you know, like Set for Life, like a great book. Yeah. Um, but but I mean, I don't think, you know, I could read it, uh, you know, a hundred times and just that one concept, you know, there was maybe only a, a chapter or whatever from the book radically changed my life, um, you know, and there there's those moments. And when you meet a couple like both of you, and you get to sit down with with someone across the table. You take all that knowledge, but you only take you know you know it probably you probably have days and days worth of of reading you know behind <laughs> you, um, you know. But but just those little snippets and the dots you connect in people's lives is can radically change them. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, the whole like seventy three percent of the average American budget is in housing, food, and transportation. Like when we sit down with people, those are the three levers that we pull first. Is how can we chip away at those so that way you don't have to lose your Starbucks coffee or your Netflix or whatever those little creature habits that like we love. Keep those things. That's totally fine. Let's focus on like the seventy three percent of your budget, and and you're going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. For sure. So Josh and Allie, uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Where can people find out more about you? So you can find us on Instagram at the Phi Couple. And we also have a website, www.thephicouple.com. Um, so those are our two big ways. We have email contact too. You can reach out to us via that. So, you know, it's been awesome to connect with people already. Um, we just launched this kind of like a month ago, which is crazy to think about. A lot has happened, but there's been a lot of behind the scenes work, you know, <laughs> years in the making. So we're excited yeah, that, to connect. That's the uh, that's the great uh, Mister. You know, like the, we everyone sees kind of the outcomes, but yeah. there's years and years of of emotional. Uh, you know, just like we talked about the psychology of money. You know, just, just what 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 happens uh, before then, all of the experiences that that we carry with us from our childhood, and just just the emotional reactions we have to certain things. And um, you know, yeah, no, absolutely. I know a lot of people are gonna. We'll we'll um, put all those links in the show notes and, and all of that and, and, and uh, tag you guys. And, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on. We know the value you're bringing and uh, hopefully we can continue to grow this relationship and, and collaborate. And, and um, you know, we know you guys are going to do great things. Cool. Thank you so much for having us today. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. You. No doubt. Well, uh, we hope you have a great day and thanks again for coming on. Yeah.